Hello and welcome to Cut to the Mole in the Post Truth Apocalypse. I'm Ben. I'm hanging out with Mike. Hello. Hey Claire. Hello. Today is a movie episode. We're going to do Fight Club. We're going to talk about the film, what we liked about it, its themes. I think we can all agree it's a pretty kick-ass movie. I think we're on an 8.8 .8 on IMDb, which is the only thing I use for movie references, the internet movie database, the gospel, as it, it is was. pretty good. It's got to be classic status, hasn't it? Yeah. Before I watch a film, I always check the rating and the reviews. Mm -hmm. Yeah, directed by David Fincher. I will point out that there are going to be spoilers. As this film was made in 1999, you should have seen it by now if you listen to this. If you haven't, go watch it, because it's a fucking awesome film. Yeah. Then come back and listen to this. Yeah. Exactly. Boom. <laughs> Don't forget, key points, listen to the show. That's the key point. The first rule of the show is always listen to it. We're breaking the rules of Fight Club straight away, aren't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're talking about Fight Club? <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> well, that's why we're not in it. <laughs> yeah. Although I am tempted to start one now. <laughs> Stow, uh, Fight Club starring... Hold on. New and returning listeners. Ah, of course. Of course. How could I forget our new and returning listeners? Edit that part out so it seems seamless. Mm. <laughs> new York, New York. Pinna in the United Kingdom. Guadalajara, Spain. Usually higher than that. I'm slightly disappointed. Cowden Beath, the United Kingdom. Uh, Sydney in Australia. Iselin. Uh, is that how you say it? New Jersey. New Jersey. Fredericksburg in Denmark. Bengaluru in India. Dover, United Kingdom. Wellfleet, it was MA, Massachusetts. Yeah. Massachusetts, yeah. yeah. Austin, Texas. Padino Dugnano in Italy, Munich, Germany. San Juan in Puerto Rico. Hilversum in the Netherlands, you crazy sexy Dutch. Montreal in Canada. Brussels, Belgium. Cumming in Georgia. Detroit, Michigan. Port Huron, Michigan. Homer, Georgia. Maple Valley. Washington in the top three this week are Dillingham, Arkansas. 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 I used, oh, that's a rookie error. I always used to get that wrong. Yeah. Boardman, Oregon, and Ashburn, Virginia. Thank you very much for listening. Yeah, a lot of USA uh, listeners this week, isn't it? Yeah, you, well, the thing is, a lot of the United Kingdom and Europe has been watching football. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, no time for podcasts. <laughs> Football's on. Football, football, football! <laughs> <laughs> not American football, not American handball. It shouldn't even be called football, it's a disgrace of a sport. Well, you want to go and watch Monster Trucks now, we just said that. <laughs> I've got nothing against Monster Trucks and NASCAR. No, we Monster Trucks, Monster Trucks, Monster Trucks. <laughs> I'll watch NASCAR. I want to do American handball though, just the pussy version of rugby. Volleyball. <laughs> I always refer to American football as handball because they very rarely use their feet. Mm. And then calling it football is a bit silly. Here I am insulting 90% of our listener base's favourite sport, possibly. Baseball sucks too, so don't we care. Anything else you don't like about the Americans? Uh, no, everything else is fine. <laughs> no, it's just a sport, really. It still rankles, I have to call football soccer now. We invented soccer. Exactly. We invented football. No, we invented the name soccer. Yeah, well, it's football, though, isn't it? No, we well, we invented it. The yeah. term, we changed the name. We invented it as soccer. It's, a, it's short for Association Football, soccer. Oh, right. Yeah, no and then we it. exported it around the world as soccer, and then we decided that we don't like the name. We changed it back to football, <laughs> and then the Yanks and everyone else kept soccer. Well, either way. So it's our fault, really. Can't well, we blame them for that? We are quite bumbling as a nation. We've got a bumbling yeah. fucking Prime Minister. Yes. Anyway... Mm. 
Fight Club, so directed by David Fincher, starring Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden, Ed Norton as the narrator. Although I was always under the impression his name was Jack. Where'd you get that from? Yeah. Uh, because of the articles he was, I am Jack's. That was the previous owner of the... I house. know, but I was, I was always under that impression. That I always thought his name was Cornelius, because that's what he's called sometimes. I just didn't catch his name. Maybe I was too stoned, or, you know. He has a different name tag on, and all the different... Yeah, yeah, yeah. different... But Bob uh, calls him Cornelius. Mm. Only because he was Cornelius at the yeah. thingy. Anyway, Helen yeah. Bonham Carter as Marla singing, and Meatloaf as Robert Paulson, and a young Jared Leto in there as well. Oh, it's from the book by Chuck... How do you know you say his last name? Pa- Palanook? Palanook? Something like that. Yeah. The film starts with the end of the film. Right? Mm-hmm. The Tyler and the narrator are sat in a high-rise block, uh, looking at the window at all these other skyscrapers, and they're going to blow up these credit card companies' HQs. That's what all these buildings are around them. This is this is the end of the film, effectively. It's we don't know that. The but we don't... They're just sitting in, in that you know, high-rise building, aren't they, looking out the window? Yeah, nice view. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, we flash back to the past, in the run-up to this event, and we find out the narrator is a massive insomniac. Yeah, before that, he's hugging Bob, isn't he? Yeah, we get into that. No, no, he goes back... Yeah, I'm going to the support groups. No, no, he does that first. He hugs he Bob. He skips back to Bob. Oh, yes, he goes uh, to he Bob, yeah. That, um, he decides that... He needs to go back further. Back further yeah. yeah. So he's insomniac. He can't sleep. The only thing that does get him to sleep is... the support groups. And he literally goes to a different one every night. He's got a little routine. He's pulling them off the notice boards. Tuberculosis, cancer. Yeah. Especially testicular cancer, which then ties into an in, emasculation theme mm-hmm. for the rest of the film that you're not a man if you um, aren't punching another man. Mm-hmm. It's about Nietzsche, isn't it, in the way that he says that men have become emasculated in our society. Because he couldn't get it up. <laughs> <laughs> Nietzsche. Anyway, he's, so he's addicted to these support groups because he actually gets, once he's had this emotional release, which presumably he can't get any other way, yeah, I think it also makes you feel alive. It may, yeah, I think the, the suffering... Well, our existence is defined by suffering, whether that's our own or other people's. Mm-hmm. So leaving these tales of people at these support groups who've gone through these harrowing diseases or are terminally ill actually makes him feel something. Yeah. Makes him feel better. Makes him feel better. But he hasn't really got them diseases. No, that's true. But I think it makes him feel some emotion that he hasn't got in his workaday life. I mean, you see him later on at his job, and we'll get to that bit, where he's just completely emotionless. And he's at the de- he's at a crime scene, effectively. I once did some uh, workout, and I was like, ah, oh, I'm aching my next day. I'm like, I was like, oh, that's how you know you're alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pain. That pain, yeah. And then Marla is introduced, and she turns up to the testicular cancer group, smoking, and says, oh, this is cancer, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. I like that iconic scene as they sort of pan in, and she's got the smoke, you know, smoke going up her face. Oh, yeah. It's such, a, it's such an entrance for her. You know, she's going to be a big part of her, you know, the story. I like her in this movie, actually, Helena Bonham Carter. It's kind of a bit of a breakout role for her in, in terms of films, wasn't it? She's cast against type. This was the first film that she did that sort of role that she's now known for, the quirky sort of... Mad-haired yeah. lady. Mad-haired, yeah. I think before that, she Some did like eyes, Pride and Prejudice and all that sort of thing, didn't she? And yeah, she's very posh. Yeah, so she, was, so she was cast against type for this film, which then became her type. 
And the fact she married Tim Burton. <laughs> and the fact she married Tim Burton and, and therefore immediately everyone thought, wow, she really is quirky. He's a quirky guy. So they just put her in. Tim Burton always puts her in all his films and, you know, she's become a bit typecast, sadly. But she's a good actress. Can you say actress anymore or she's just an actor? I don't know. God knows. Anyway, she's going to all these support groups and he can't deal with that. He can't cry if he knows there's another faker there. You know, and I can see that because he's like, well, this only works if I'm the only guy here who's, who hasn't got any of this. Yeah. She's infringing on his... Uh, on his therapy. On his yeah. therapy, isn't she? Uh, now, he is a young executive, uh, the narrator. That's his job. He's a day-to-day guy, nine to five takes business trips and his job is he do, he is a recall coordinator for a major car firm. Now, That's a shit job, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's looking into the, like the you know technical reasons why they crash and why why things go wrong with cars, isn't it? That's well, it. his job is basically they don't want to pay. Yeah. Do anything they can to get out of it. If it ain't worth it. That's it. I'm going to recall it. So it's what is it? It's, you have the cost of the recall. Plus the potential lawsuits. Times. Times. The probability of it happening. The probability of yeah. it happening, that's it. Well done. Yeah, the lady on the plane just goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, you know, the driver must have been incredibly fat. Look at the way he's burnt into the seat. Oh, the daughter's braces are wrapped. And he's just a, a wrapped around the, the backseat ashtray. Might make a great anti-smoking ad. <laughs> and he's just emotionless yeah. as they're making these jokes yeah. about this family that has been trapped in their car and oh, burned to death yeah. because... Yeah. The rear axle's fucking seized up and they've crashed their car. That's, yeah, it's a commodification of life. Uh, got a value now. That's it. Well, that's that... a pretty soul-destroying job as it is, isn't oh, it? Oh, fuck yeah. Better. Yeah, absolutely. And it wouldn't help with the insomnia because all you're thinking about is families burning to death inside their cars because <laughs> your car makes your company makes a shoddy product. Yeah, they're not recalling it because it ain't worth it. Yeah. Like, well, we're prepared for so many yeah. of these to happen a year. That's going to be a pretty soul-destroying job. You only see him in a car once during the movie, innit? During that car crash. Do you? No, in Tyler's car when he picks him up. Oh, yeah. No, he doesn't pick him up, does he? They meet at the bar. They do, don't they? Yeah, could be, yeah. And he comes to this conclusion that while he's on this flight, that everything is single-serving. You know, there was a single-serving of food, single-serving of toothpaste, single-serving friends. Yeah, disposable. Disposable. We live in a disposable society. People are just as disposable as... You know, the, the little cartons of shit that we get and, and steal. Yeah. And find out we've still got a, a single serving of shampoo from a hotel you went to five years ago stuffed in your you wash bag. Why did you keep it? Because <laughs> I put it in the wash bag yeah. thinking I'll use that when I get home and never did. Yeah. Because yeah. it's nasty shampoo yeah. usually. <laughs> I'm bored. I'm, I'm just washing my head. <laughs> you know? This is where Tyler's seen for the first time. He's, he's already appeared, though, hasn't he, in a couple of little glimpses. On the escalator the oh. first time, wasn't it? Looking rather sharp. Yeah, he does look sharp in this movie. I'll give him that. That opening scene, he looks sharp. After that, when they're fighting, you know, he just looks a bit battered, don't they? Both do. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But the thing is, he's fighting, like, two or three times a night, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it, we'll get to that. It's an important twist. So he sits next to the narrator on the plane, and the narrator to me seems like the fucking kind of guy from, the guy from Airplane, where he's like telling him his life story and they're all killing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> they realise that they have the same briefcase, they strike up a bit of conversation, Tyler throws some philosophy his way. Hey, look at these people on the plane, Ox- oxygen gets you high, 600 mile an hour water landing, they're all calm like Hindu cows. <laughs> 
I've often considered that when I've been on a plane, you know. I hope, I hope yeah. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I must admit, it always goes through my mind when they're doing a the thing and I'm like, I hope that gets me high enough to accept my fate. Yeah. But then again, I also try not to think about the plane crashing. you got more chance of being in a car crash. You have, yeah, you have. And they don't just fall at the sky off, you know, 99% of the time. They either take off or land and they tend to crash. Yeah, something a bird or something. Yeah. Even then, if it doesn't catch fire, you've got a pretty good chance of walking away. Hmm. Not if you hit the sea. I think it's game over if you hit the sea. Depends how fast you go. And if you're doing that on takeoff, then you've probably got a reasonably good chance. Hmm. Who knows? I don't know. I don't want to find out. No. <laughs> no. Definitely not. So, yeah. So, the narrator, he gets back to his apartment after this flight. And he gets there just in time to basically see the aftermath of the fact that it's exploded. All his Ikea furniture. Yeah. Oh, that Ikea furniture. Scattered into the wind. <laughs> that he spent so much time assembling and deciding what the perfect dining set was. And it's got indigenous pe- made by indigenous people, so it's flawed. And that's, <laughs> that defines him as a person. I just, no, I want a set that isn't flawed, personally. Make me some, make some stuff that works. Half the time, it's shit we don't need. They're just creating new wants and needs for us, aren't they? Well, of course. That's advertising. Yeah. Just to keep that economy growing. Yeah. So first thing he calls Marla. Right? Because he's like, I've got nowhere to go. I'm going to call Marla. He hangs up because he hasn't got the balls to speak to her, basically. Yeah. Now, then he calls Tyler. You see clearly on the phone, on the phone box, it does not take incoming calls. Yeah. He calls Tyler. No one picks up. He hangs up the phone. The phone rings. And it's Tyler. He says, I'll never answer the phone. What do you want? Next thing you know, they meet in a bar. They're having a few beers. So, yes, he gives him this little lecture on... He gives this nice little speech. Yeah, it's a good speech. We're consumers. We are byproducts of a lifestyle obsession. Murder, crime, poverty. These things don't concern me. What concerns me are celebrity magazines. Television with 500 channels. Some guy's name on my underwear. Rogaine, Viagra, Alestra. Uh, the narrator was Martha Stewart. Fuck Martha Stewart. Martha's polishing the brass on the Titanic. It's all going down, man. So fuck off with your sofa units and your styrene green striped patterns. You've got a point. <laughs> the, world's, yeah. the world's fucking burning. No one cares. And, and all we're concerned about is our sofa units and green striped patterns on our yeah, curtains. What, what colours in this season? Yeah. It's fucking insane. Mm-hmm. It is, but, you know, if you were to think about everything that's going wrong with the world, you'd drive yourself insane. You'd have to block or, it out. Or you'd, you'd want to do something about it. Well, they want to keep us dumb and docile and fucking not thinking about these things. Well, do something then. Huh? Do something. What can one person do? Well, get form, <laughs> organise, <laughs> form for a fight club. They called, isn't that what political parties are all about? Well, they're all gone. Forget about them. They're going down with the Titanic. They don't care. They're just in it for themselves. Let's do Project Mayhem then. Start it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because the narrator was close to being complete. I had a wardrobe that was getting pretty smart. I had all this stuff. And it's like, no, the things you own, they end up owning you. It's an illusion. It's a lifestyle obsession. And some people take it too far. Me, I just like to buy shit. I work hard. I like to buy shit. There you go. Or a copy of a copy of a copy. No, I'm pretty unique. We're all fake. Now, we're all very similar anyway, let's face it, it's part of the human condition. Yeah. We're all incredibly similar. 
we are a copy of a copy of a copy. You know, yeah. when I was a kid, I wanted them little plastic toys and them little eggs when you turn the little mm-hmm. machines at the, you know, at the seaside or wherever. Oh yeah, my dad didn't get me any of them. You know, now I'm older, I'm just like they're a waste of money. Yeah, that's and, and then well, my kids are wanting them, so we're a copy. Of, we are a copy of a copy of a copy, aren't we? Yeah, and eventually it's just yeah. diluted to shittiness. And, and, and he makes the example of the duvet and the blanket. He does they do the same thing, but yeah. Why do we know what a duvet is? Yeah. He says, doesn't he? Well, I quite like having my uh, like thousand tog fucking duvet or whatever it is, <laughs> four hundred tog duvet. Mm. My Egyptian cotton sheets with a thousand stitches are fucking great. Really comfy, best night's sleep I have when I put them on. <laughs> Snuggly fleece. So they exit the bar after drinking some beers and they decide that they want to have a fight. Well, Tyler says he wants to have a fight. He goes, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. After this, he decides, just ask me to stay with me. You're going to let it go. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, you can stay with me if you punch me as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which he does, and they end up having a fight. Outside the pub, a very shit fight. Yeah, the first punch to the ear was just <laughs> an embarrassment, really. Yeah, Tyler lives in this little fucking this this abandoned. Well, it's still a mansion, I'd argue. It's a fucking it's a mansion by the UK standards. Yeah, it's a big ass house. It is, yeah. Leaky. Um, very leaky on a home in Paper Street, uh, which is like they've just got one warehouses around. There's no one around them for like a mile and a half. Boarded up windows, isn't it? Yeah, boarded up windows, practically derelict. And Tyler, in his spare time, is can, can I just say something about that? Okay. Because the paper street is the complete opposite to the apartment. Yeah. The apartment was a filing cabinet mm. where people were tucked away nicely. When they know. finished their day. To... Yeah, they could buy their mass-produced goods to make them feel better by getting to work next day. But they're tucked away, come back, go to work. Whereas the paper street, it's the complete opposite. It's filthy, it's disorganised... Nothing works properly. It leaks. It yeah. floods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the basement floods. Yeah. On one side, it's called rationalisation, the way of organising society, which is the way we do it now, which it favours efficiency over tradition, custom or individual desires. Mm. I blame the Germans and the Japanese. The very efficient people as it spread out. Yeah. Every other country saw what they were doing and went, oh, well, that's some of that. So Paper Street is complete opposite. The society he's been living in. Way down on Paper Street. <laughs> Sounds like Baker Street. Yeah. Tyler's a bit of an anarchist, though, isn't he? He's a projectionist. He enjoys splicing single frames of porn into the uh. into kids' films and pissing in the soup at various high-end hotels where he moonlights as a waiter sometimes. Bit of an anarchist. They seem to like fighting outside this bar, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, seems to be a bit of tradition. Start getting a crowd, this sort of friendly fighting in a way, isn't it? It's like, all right, we're having this fight, but afterwards, we if, don't need to know each other's names. We don't need to know who we are. You know, we might, we might have another fight next week, but hey, we're still friends at the end of it. Still, there's no hard feelings, there's no animosity. Yeah. It just makes us feel like men. Mm-hmm. Whereas a life that we're living doesn't feel us like make us feel like men, because our job, you know, as this men. This is a good point to put that quote in. You know, okay, this is a bit from later on in the film, but... Oh, is it? Yeah, it is. Do you put it in now? Or I'll throw it in now because it pretty much sums up what yeah, I'm trying to say. that's what I thought. So, goddamn, an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves in white collars, advertising us, chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. We're the middle children of history, man, no purpose or place. We have no Great War, no Great Depression, 
Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. And we're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. Nails, yeah. The thing is, I don't agree with Nietzsche. Yeah. You know, I just think he's an impotent little cook. (laughs) But that is right. And we are the middle children of history, our generation, because every generation that's come before us in living memory, our grandparents, has had some defining moment that's made them stand up to some point. They've had to overcome adversity. They've had to overcome adversity. And we haven't. We've had, we've got things pretty good. Well, most of us have got things pretty good. Yeah. Compared we've to all the, got a roof the past, over, of course. Yeah. We've all got a roof over our head. We've got electricity. We've got running water. And there's no food. fear of Nazis firebombing us. There's no fear of Nazis firebombing us. There's no need to go and fight in the trenches. We're not outside queuing for bread. Things are pretty good. It's called progression. Progression, exactly. Yeah, but, but what Nietzsche's saying is it, it's emasculated the man. He's, because yeah. he, his job is hunter-gatherer, that's what we're... Hunter-gatherer, father, yeah. soldier, protector. There's no need for that now. And in fact, it's it's looked down upon. Violence. Violence in society, yeah. yeah. Well, I, like I said, I don't completely agree with him. This is what he says. Oh, fuck. Weed hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the American generation that fought in the Second World War. We'll use America as an example. What's their nickname? The greatest generation. That is literally what they're known as. Our grandparents' generation yeah. in America is known as the greatest generation. Mm. Right? Now they're what they're known as in our country thing. The silent generation. I doubt it, they all vote Tory from Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> no, up until the end of the World War Second World War. Thirty seven to forty five. Alright. We call them the silent generation, I don't know why. Yeah, the greatest generation sounds much better. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? Are you thinking if you're born in between 37 and 45? Yeah. Oh, well, in that case, yeah, because there's a war going on. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's just silently trying to live their lives back over. Yeah. Day. Maybe that's what it is then, yeah. Actually, Elections yeah. would have been suspended for the war because we didn't have an election till 45 immediately after the war. Yeah. Maybe that's got something to do with it. I don't know. Mm. But yeah, and then, so we'll take an American example again. Their kids went off to fight Vietnam. Yeah. That was their generational thing, but they also had the hippie movement. They had the, the liberation movement of society. You know, after that, us who were born in the 80s, what have we got? We've had the war on terror, yeah, okay. 9 11 was a pretty much general, but we didn't have to go off and fight. No. Well, you know, there's no national service, is there? Or no. Anything like, that, like there was then, that's that, how we progressed, isn't it? But they weren't going now, we, now we pump gas and wait tables. And, you know, Tyler Durden and Nietzsche are both saying that, you know, the society is an assault on masculinity. And I agree with that because I think that's a bit of a discussion for maybe another time where toxic masculinity comes from is that people are trying too hard to be a man, but because they've never actually had a proper masculine role model mm-hmm. who's seen some shit, that we don't get it. We don't get... A lot of men don't get how to be men. If that makes sense, especially some of the fuckers on the internet, anyway. Yeah, and Nietzsche says that, you know, with, with absent fathers uh, and also without God, without clear instruction, we point ourselves towards destruction. It's no wonder he couldn't get it up if he's trying to fap <laughs> and sprout in that. 
He's not quite wrong though, is he? We are destroying ourselves and destroying the planet. He's putting that down to absent fathers and lack of God. Mm. Was he for religion, Nietzsche, then, or was he... I don't know. Sometimes I think he's for it, but then he's against it. Because he blames um, Western Christianity for offering their own dogma as truth. And that's led man onto a quest for truth that has led him to science and enlightenment, but has also led to existential nihilism. There's no objective meaning to existence. I see what you mean. So it's so like, it's no... led us to go to science, but at the same time we're like, oh, well, now, the, now we know that sunsets aren't from God. They're just the light refracting off the atmosphere as the sun sets behind the earth. It's not magical anymore, is it? Well, there's no afterlife. Yeah, that's or... it. If you know afterlife, you know... If you've got no reward for what we do in, in our life, it's just pointless. What is the point of everything? Well, the point is, you realise that every day is your reward. Yeah. Simple as. Just you make the best of what you can do. Change your, your mindset and then, you know... Well, that's what he he says about you becoming the ubermensch. Right. Yeah, and there's an iffy term. Ubermensch. Yeah. Seems to call another bunch of people <laughs> that use that term. They weren't very nice. Were they not? No, no, they weren't. No. Although their uniforms are absolutely sharp. So, so he, he's, he's suggesting that people's mental health or spiritual spirituality will be affected because they haven't, or lack of spirituality, they'll, you know, they're not looking forward to, or not yeah. looking forward to death. In his, in his book, the 19th century, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Oh yeah, that's a cook's title. <laughs> Zarathustra preaches to the masses that God is dead and warns the masses that the disability of values leads to the era of the last man, a period in which man stagnates because of his lack of purpose, turning toward endless consumption and apathy. So we just don't give a shit and we buy loads of stuff to make ourselves feel better? Yeah. Instant gratification, isn't it? Yeah. Got a wank. The mindless (laughs) consumption is empty fulfilment and causes slave morality which is a mindset of obedience and patience. Slave morality leads to our society, which preaches weakness and pacification as virtues and elevates victimhood to sainthood. Yeah. See, I can get behind that to a point, because passive man, a man's not supposed to be passive in a way. There's, there's a time and a place to be passive. Yeah. If something goes against your beliefs, and you've got to stand up for them. Not if you're being used and abused by the system. Don't be passive. Because they're getting away with it, they're, they're, yeah. they're abusing you. Yeah, yeah they're Which is what you say this society does. And just... Uses and abuses you, tosses you aside once, yeah. you're, once you're worthless. Yeah. So we say we've got this slave morality. A slave mindset would be a better thing. Yeah, probably. Rather than morality. So... This leads to existential nihilism, which leads us to death anxiety. Western man has lost faith in the afterlife as a positive out- outlook. Therefore, suffering is amplified no heavenly salvation mm-hmm. and modern civilization numbs this pain by promoting hedonistic escapism seems alright to me and Nietzsche believes we have to tackle our morality head on which is necessary to overcome the death anxiety so at least he's offering a way out of it rather than yep. just uh, whining right back to the movie a second yep a little uh, detour. Yeah, a little detour. Fighting outside the bar slowly becomes some kind of fighting club. Now, I find it slightly ironic that Tyler becomes kind of a surrogate father to the main character who doesn't really have a father. He was there for six years and he moved on when he started another family. So Tyler becomes this mentor to him in a way, doesn't he? Yeah. Yep, yeah. father figure. Yeah. 
So Saturday night outside the bar. Saturday nights are right for fighting, said yeah. Alton John. Yeah. Apparently that's when they're doing it. Every Saturday outside the bar, in the garage, in the uh, car park. Yeah. More and more guys are starting to come. Eventually, the guy who, uh, who was running the place running says, the oh, just, you know, use the basement. And that's on. I love that bit when they walk into the bar, there's kick-ass music playing, and he's like, right, these guys want to fight now, so everyone out, come on, let's go. I think any... Shuts the place up on a Saturday night. Yeah. I think any iconic film always has that sort of, you know, nightclub scene where the, where they're walking through, or like this one, the bar scene. Everybody turns around, everybody's looking at, you know, who's coming in, and it, it it's almost like it all slows down just a touch, doesn't it? They, yeah. you know, and then like, it's like they own the place almost. That's it. They're kind of the the de facto leader of everybody in there, or everybody in there who knows what's going to happen later, which presumably is most of them. Yeah. So, the rules of Fight Club, they give it a name, it's Fight Club. Don't talk about Fight Club. Rule number one. Rule number two, you do not talk about Fight Club. Number three, no shirts, no shoes. Number four, guy taps out, says enough, fight is over. One fight at a time, just two guys to a fight, one fight at a time. Fights go on for as long as they have to, and first night... Here at Fight Club, you have to fight. <laughs> and he says, you know, first few nights, first few weeks there, you, you, you're cookied over after a few weeks, few fights, you're hard as fucking mahogany. Well, Whether that's an impotence reference again, I don't know. I think he said carved out of wood. Carved out of wood, there you go. Yeah, well, the narrator, you know, that first punch he, he throws to the ear is, like I say, embarrassing. And then, he, you know, you watch him through, through the film, he's getting better and better, isn't he? You know, yeah. He's taking hits and he, it's like it's not even touching him. Yeah. He's weak, he's lost, losing his weakness, isn't he? And, you know. Becoming emasculated again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that he's, I mean, Brad Pitt for this movie is fucking shredded, yeah. to be fair. Ed Norton's a very unassuming little guy, isn't mm. he? And he does his best. He gets some abs. He does yeah. in American History X. He does in American History X. He <laughs> fucking, which way. came first, I wonder? American History X. Did it? So he yeah. lost mass. That's what the thing. And if he was shredded, it wouldn't have the same effect. He's a nerdy little office mouse, yeah. isn't he? He can't be shredded for this movie. No. You know, he gets some abs. He gets toned, but... He's a very unassuming man, isn't he? Of course, the whole point, he's become emasculated, so he doesn't look strong and tough, and he's not yeah. a fighter, he's never fought in his life. Yeah. That's it, he, he said, have you ever been in a fight, and he says no. That's it, well, neither of them apparently have to that point, have Well, they? obviously Tyler Durden hasn't, well, <laughs> if he yeah. hasn't. Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Don't give it away! <laughs> Yet! <laughs> it is just discovering mankind's warrior spirit. Yeah. At the end of the day, deep down in a man's subconscious, we all want to stab a man to death and then bathe in his blood while screaming our victory at the sky mm. on some sodden battlefield it's in all of us yeah the fight club members have to embrace the inevitability of death and have to destroy their postmodern self-conception before overcoming their emasculation to create something new in other words this is this is you what you do in the week you got to break that down that's bullshit that's a lie that's what you do to illusion. get by that's it. Every time you fight, you're embracing death, aren't you? You could, you could get punched out dead. Yeah. You could. You could go down Happens. and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hang on. What's better? Bare knuckle or boxing? Because there's something about boxing gloves that they're only actually there to protect the thrower's hand, the punch thrower's hand, not your face. Yeah, there's more deaths now 
from boxing with gloves than there was without. Really? Mm-hmm. It is something like wouldn't hit you in the, in the head or... Because it's, it's skull, it's hard, hurts. Yeah. Yeah. It's body punches, it used to be. Yeah, or or to, to a knockout punch to the... But yeah, it would be body, it would be big haymakers. There wouldn't be much of a guard as such. Yeah. Because there'd be like two big dudes just body shotting each other. Yeah. You know, exactly the head hurts. You yeah. If you can get a clean chin shot, you're probably going to go first. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. But the, not to the, the side of the head. Side of the face, yeah. maybe. It's quite soft, but side of the head is skull, man. It hurts. Yeah, yeah gloves are, are worn to protect the throw and yeah, punch so those hands. So you get more head shots now, don't you? Yeah, they're trying to just not, not you know, rock your brain, aren't they? Yeah. Because that's what get, send them off balance and, you know. Trauma, yeah. At Fight Club, there's a bit of everything though, isn't there? There's a bit of martial arts, the throws, the takedowns, there's a conventional boxing, there's, yeah. you know, there's a bit of wrestling in there. Bob is a bit of a wrestler when he joins. Yeah. He, yeah, he's got him in a headlock at one yeah. point, he? Using tip, his bulk. His titty, yeah. <laughs> using, his, using his weight advantage, gets him down, chokes him out. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, yeah, Bob clocks it. Uh, he like, clocks a few in the face, but he's yeah. a big dude, isn't he? Yeah. It's, it's making it because Bob's got bitch tits. Yeah, but when Bob beats up Tyler. Yeah. He, that's when he clocks, you know. He clocks. But at the end, what's he do? He's like, ah! On his one knee, screaming into the air. Yeah, it's like, yeah. He's never felt more alive. Yeah. Especially since he got his tits. He's never felt more no, manly. He, he, he clocks who Tyler is. Oh, yeah. The fact that he yeah. just beat him, he's just like, that. You know, that's going to add to him being on top of the world, isn't it? Of course. But sometimes I do wonder if, if he took a dive in that. Oh. oh, shit, that's my bad. I haven't put my phone on, my watch on silent. Sorry. Rookie mistake. It is, I forgot about it. Yeah, so Marla calls, having taken an OD. Yeah, so the narrator is there like, ugh. Oof, listening to it and he kind of just gently places the phone on top of the thing and fucks off she's got a cord round her neck hasn't she of the phone as well yeah that's a bit of symbolism and Tyler approaches he's like oh what's going on here next thing you know he's there takes a call he gets there takes her back to the house on Paper Street and fucks her all night to keep her awake so she doesn't fall asleep yeah at least he used condoms he doesn't say a thing though when he goes and picks her up does he no and I love the bit, right, where he's like, he pulls down this little side corridor because the police are rushing to the door. Yeah. And they just, he's just like dancing on the spot. What? <laughs> just to no music at all, he's just dancing yeah. on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm a cat, I'm jiving. <laughs> like, she does a little jive. And... When he pulls her to the one side, I think he's going to like snog her or something. Yeah. You know, in the, in the, you know. Yeah. He, he looks just like, does a little dance. He just starts dancing on the spot. Quite coolly though. Because it's Brad Pitt. You know. And she's shouting the odds, isn't she? Oh, there's a fucking crazy woman in that flat! <laughs> yeah. Good luck saving her. Yeah. Next morning, she comes down the stairs, and the narrator's sat at the kitchen. She's like, what are you doing here? And well, I think you'd know. She's just some puzzlement as well, like, hey, are you on a bit? You just fucked me all night. What do you mean, what am I doing here? But she doesn't say anything, and eventually just kind of storms out because she realises she's just been a dick. Yeah. Well, she thinks he's being a dick. Yeah. But also, like, oh, it was a one-night thing kind of thing then. Yeah. Or what? I don't know. Now, Tyler, at this point, describes bruises from fighting as enlightenment. Hmm. Yep. So, let's move to a fun bit of the film, soap-making. Yeah. 
Basically, Tyler's job, as he professes, is that he makes and he sells soap, like proper fancy soap. And the best place to get soap from is from human fat. Makes the best soap, so they go to the liposuction clinic and steal the fat from out the biohazard bins that's been they're selling rich women their fat asses back to them in soap form. I do appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a good bit. I see when it, that one bit rips on the bar boy. Oh, he's trying to catch it in his hands. What are you like, doing? Oh, I guess oh, let it go, man. Um, yeah, they cook it down, don't they? Add all the, you know, chemicals they need to. Yeah, Tyler explains with enough soap you can just about blow up anything because if mm. you scrape the bit off the top that's glycerin you add nitric acid mm-hmm. you get you add a bit of sawdust another chemical you've got dynamite you can blow up anything with enough soap <laughs> whether that's true or not I don't actually know but no I don't if it's got glycerin in it yeah you add nitric acid to it you can make it a crude explosive I guess it's nitroglycerin isn't it I know that when we were growing up, there was a thing going around called the Rolly, uh, the Jolly Roger Cookbook. The Rolly Jolly Cookbook. Yeah. That sounds delightful. The Jolly Roger Cookbook. And the Cookbook. Yeah. And that was about making bombs out of household items, wasn't it? Yeah, you'd be surprised that you can make bombs out of household or certainly set up the various chemicals over heat to make them explode. Mm-hmm. Antifreeze and something else over heat will explode, take out a house. I'm not going to say what the other thing is <laughs> in case I get in trouble. And it's illegal to actually own those now, even printed copies. The Jolly Roger cookbook or the Anarchists cookbook or whatever they are. Yeah, you can get arrested for owning them now. Fascists. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because that's what we want, Mike. More terrorists who can make homemade bombs. <laughs> but it's worth a bit then, isn't it, if you have got one? Yeah, but I wouldn't try and sell it. <laughs> Just in case the person you're selling it to is... Uh, yeah, it might grass you up. <laughs> Next up, we get the um, the chemical burns. Yeah. It's an interesting bit. Because he's like, you know, the first soap was made at the, made at the, blood, the, the blood and bones and ashes of heroes. You know, he puts it on his skin. You know, this is where you are. This is the pain. There's no pain without sacrifice. You're like a monkey being shot into space. This is, you are, this is the pain. This is everything. This is your existence. Yeah. Don't deal with it where those dead people do with guided meditation. Embrace it. Embrace, Embrace the it. pain and suffering. Embrace it. This is your existence. And, you know, he's like, you can put put your hand on the water and it'll make it ten times worse or you can put vinegar on it and neutralise it. He's holding his hand there for like a minute. It's mm. just burning into his skin. And he's like, no, oh, you've never done this. You don't know what this is like. And shows him the back of his hand. He goes, yeah, I know exactly what this is like. Yeah. What's that quote he says about God as well? God doesn't like you. Yeah. Accept that. In fact, in all probability, he fucking hates you. But that's okay. We don't need him. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. Nietzsche called it creative destruction and he believed that every creation requires some form of destruction. So you've got to destroy your old self before you can renew. That's it. Reborn. Yeah. The Ubermensch realises life will end in annihilation so he overcomes the will to live and embraces the will to power, shaping his environment through force. He thinks of that last his short existence. But he has to endure pain, suffering and destruction as part of the process. Yeah, and again, it's that ubermensch thing. Mm. And also, at the same film, it's only after we've lost everything we're free to do anything. Yeah? Yep. Like, you know, hitting rock bottom, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Like a theme throughout the film, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the following day, he's there and he's standing up to his boss, who is like a father figure, who's bossed him about, he's got a bit of a meek guy to him. 
left the rules of Fight Club on a photocopier. You know, maybe you shouldn't uh, bring me every bit of crap. You find he stands up to me. He's like, oh, you know, the guy you're showing that to is probably quite dangerous, and uh, he could be. You know, one day he snaps and he starts stalking through the office with a AR-10 gas-powered carbine, pumping round after round into colleague and co-worker. He's going to be very, he's very dangerous. He could be standing right next to you. He's probably very close to you as we speak. It's very threatening. Yeah. You know. It is. And then he, he alleviates the tension by saying, well, you can just stop bringing me every piece of crap you find. <laughs> <laughs> Chucks it in the bin. Yeah. But it's such a, a power play to yeah, your own boss. I mean, that's if that's not a power trip, that's... I mean, I bet his balls swelled at least ten times oh, doing yeah. that. Yeah. If, if, you know, if that was a real scenario. So How many people have wanted to say that to their boss? Oh, fuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Little Hitlers, all of them. That's it. <laughs> Yeah. Every corporate structure is a fascist structure. But this is an illusion, democracy. That's that's why Trump hated, in a way, being president. He even said it himself. He said, I can't do what I want. In my own company, I can do what the fuck I want. I'm the boss. No one tells me what to do. Of course, he has to answer to the... Well, supposedly, the American people. But he has to answer to the corporations, really. And the military-industrial complex and big pharma and all that shit. Definitely the military-industrial complex and big pharma. Yeah. Them two are the certainly the uh, the big boys. Every corporate structure is a fascist organisation. Little Hitler at the top, lieutenants, and goes all the way down. Unless you're unionised, or unless you're a worker cooperative, which there are some. Mm-hmm. But in the big, massive corporations, yeah, it's more like that structure. But then again, if you've got a unionised workforce, you haven't yeah. got that. You haven't got that, have you? That's like ants, isn't it? That's what it's like. Mm, like yeah. ants, yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be that way. One of the biggest companies in Spain is a worker co-op called Mondragon. Okay. You know, they've got uh, shops around the world. I don't know what they do, I can't remember now. But... They can't be that fucking good then, I've never seen one. Don't they all have a dividend in the, in the company? Like they might have a few shares each or something like that? Yeah, they get paid better, they got votes on the board. There's one worker, forget his name. But Juan Pedro Sanchez Domingos. No, no, this is an American guy. Oh. And he, he decided that it wasn't right for him to be taking home hundreds of thousands oh, of pounds. Oh, this guy. Yeah, while his, while his workers can't afford basic living yeah, yeah. expenses. Mm. So, you know, he said, right, he said everyone's going to get paid equally and everyone gets £67,000 a year now. $70,000. Yeah. Everyone gets $70,000 a year. That's... That's the... Fair whack, that is. Yeah, he says, that's enough for me to live uncomfortably. It's enough for every single worker to live uncomfortably. Yeah, but it's terrible that $70,000 is enough to live uncomfortably. It should be less than that, the cost of living, etc., etc. Taxes, well, things I, like that. Yeah, I think it's... You know, why, why can't it be 20000 If you know, You know what I'm saying? Why has it got to be so much money to live... Well, that's because of inflation and depreciation of the, of the Why dollar. Why can't I go out with three groats and a chicken and get my monthly shop anymore? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 in the wrong ages. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. When the banks get their money, it's new. It's it's worth what it's worth. When it trickles down to us, it's depreciated. It's not worth as much as it was because inflation's gone up. Well, no, no, no paper currency is worth the same, is it? 
because it's if you read what it says on the on a five for any note in this country, it says I promise to pay on demand the sum yeah. of the bearer the sum. It's a substitute for carrying gold, isn't it? It's a pr- so the minute you take the gold at the equation, your currency is virtually worth yeah. nothing, which it is anyway. It's, it's that, a fiat currency. It's worth only as much as you believe it's worth. I believe that five was mm. now worth 50 quid. I wonder if that'll fly at the shop. <laughs> Collectively believe. Yeah. Well, you two think it as well. <laughs> we'll get two other people in here, then we're... Oh, what's the word? Oh, there's a word for when you get like five people in, you can have a vote. It's like a quorum or something like that. Mm. We're quorum. So you need five people to have a vote. So we need to get two other people in here and I'll, we'll all collectively believe that, that five is in fact 50 quid and we'll go to the shop. <laughs> yeah, but then they'll believe it's 50 quid so you only get... They'll put their prices up. Ah, shit. No, they, no they, sorry, this is a collective. Oh, uh. <laughs> uh, he meets up with Bob again at this point. As we've alluded to, Bob is at Fight Club and they've had that little fight. They've never met because Bob goes Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> Tyler and the narrator go on a Saturday. It's, I love the fact that he goes, oh, I go Tuesdays, Thursdays. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing Saturday, Bob? <laughs> What's so important is on a Saturday. <laughs> How many nights a week are they having it at this point? Because they're not doing it every night at this point. So is it a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday thing? A couple of days off in between each fight? I don't know. It's only... You know, so far through the film, it says they do it every night now. That's it. So he's not free to do it. But Tyler's got this mythology building up around him anyway. Mm. Yeah. You know, people are like, oh, you hear he has facial reconstructive surgery. He was born in a lunatic asylum and all that. <laughs> those, yeah. those people are giving them a nod, aren't they? They are. Like, he's like nodding. Because he considers himself like the number two, doesn't he? Yeah. Tyler's the face and he's the brains kind of scenario. Is what he's thinking. Yeah, he sort of hides in the shadows and, and Tyler's out there giving out all he's, the orders. Yeah. He's the yeah. showman, isn't he, Tyler? He's yeah. the good-looking, ripped guy who's going, yeah, well, this is... These well, are the rules. He's his father figure, isn't he? Yes, exactly. He's what he's wanted his dad. If he, yeah. if my dad was like that, I'd be more outgoing. I'd be better than I am. Well, I think it's it's all that down to disassociate. He's disassociating himself a touch of it at this yeah. point, isn't he? Still. Yeah. Even Tyler says he's like, I, I talk like you and I act like you and I fuck like you want to. Yeah. yeah. I am capable. I'm smart. Yeah. That's a bit Every, later on, but. Yeah. Now, Tyler does his speech, which you've already said. The precious little snowflakes. You're, you're not. You're not going to be movie stars. Are all pissed off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the tavern where they fight is called Lou's Tavern. Lou, Lou is is actually one of my favourite characters in this movie. Really? Yeah, because he's like this New Jersey gangster guy, isn't he? He's like he looks like he's off the set of Sopranos. Uh, <laughs> I, I was a bit upset that he didn't like you know. Just Stay get, for a fight. Yeah, rip his tie off and get it, get in the midst. You see, if he'd have done that, he'd have realised what a great thing it was. But then again, Lou, do, Lou, Lou don't need emasculating. Lou's got, like, a mistress and a wife, and he's got a fucking flash car and mafia guys under him. He's yeah. fucking got swinging balls. Yeah. He's got big ball energy. He, he, don't, he doesn't need to fight. And get he doesn't need to fight, does he? But he, does, he beats the fuck out of, of, of Tyler. He's like, you know, he, he, he can throw a punch, can Lou. But that's about him. More masculating Lou, isn't it? He, he like almost lets him beat him, so he's like, Please just let us have the place, sort of. Yeah, you know? but is like, he masculating him, isn't he? Yeah, he's emasculating Lou, letting yeah. him beat up, yeah, letting him beat up Tyler, letting Lou beat him up. He's emasculating Lou, but what I love about that is the guy who started to step forward. There's an armed guy there, he's got a pistol, but Lou want to lose mobsters. And they all sort of step forward and Tyler sort of waves them back. They're starting to like listen to him, aren't they? Yeah. You know, they're starting to take orders from him. And funnily enough, as I say that, it's literally 
but after this, this epic fight where Lou beats the fuck out of Tyler and then Tyler grabs him, starts spitting blood into his face, starts screaming, you don't know where I've been, Lou. <laughs> Let us use your place if you really like it. You don't know where I've been. And he's holding on to Lou's tyres. The mobster guy is trying to drag him off by the feet and he's choking. He's like, let us have the placement. He's like, you can have the fucking place. <laughs> you know, it's great. Yeah. I love that bit. Yeah. Lou's one of my favourite characters. It's at Lou's tavern. It's a titty bar. There's a fight club in the basement. I want to hang out with Lou. No, I like the barman that looks like Neil Young. He's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. He's the one that breaks his collarbone and That's obviously it. he's not there in that scene. He looks like Wolverine's yeah. uncle. Yeah. <laughs> they are impressive burns. Yeah. I'll give you that. Side burns, definitely. And that, right after this, Tyler's asking him more homework. Mm. Sealed envelopes. Uh, this t- First one, go out, start a fight with a total stranger and lose. Because, you know, you're harder than them. And you see you're a big, tough guy. Let them beat you up. But... I don't think it's... It shows you in the film like there's a few of them trying to... Most people don't want to fight, do they? No. It's a last resort for most people. Yeah. You see him trying to provoke him and Bob trying to chase a guy on a bike. <laughs> but it's like... I, I maintain if you just went into a bar yeah. and just found the drunkest, biggest guy in there and said you just fucked his mom, you're putting on a fight with him. I don't think it's as hard as they made out. Yeah, they went after sober people. Sober people don't want to fight. Yeah, well, it depends. Some people are just naturally sociopaths. Some do, but most don't. Oh, this bit, leading on, this is the homework the narrator chooses, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And he goes to see his boss. I love this scene. This is my own yeah. personal fantasy about quitting my job. Yeah. I've, I've fantasised about this kind of scenario. I quite happily punch myself in the fucking face and throw myself through a table if they're going to give me 12 monthly paychecks and 48 flight stubs, 48 flight tickets a year. You've also got to have a bit of shit on them. Yes, and that's the point. He does say, look, I know that you, you're, this company makes a shitty product and they don't care about the people dying. Yeah, it's unethical. It's unethical and you'd be taken to court and sued and the company would probably go out of business. And, so just keep me on as an outside consultant. You never have to see me again. I'll keep my mouth shut. And then he starts punching himself in the face, dragging himself around the office, throwing himself through a table. Just as security arrives, he's on his knees at his boss's feet, holding onto his shirt... Please, please don't hit me again. <laughs> Fantastic. And you see him, a very happy man, walking out with a trolley, with a computer and a fax machine and everything out of his office. Yeah. And he's got his 12 monthly paychecks. And I'm presuming this guy's on a fair amount of money doing the job he does. Yeah. Yeah, he's got to be like on a few grand, then. Oh, definitely. 50, 70, maybe more. Certainly 30 or 40. Yeah. Easy. But let's face it, his living costs at Paper Street are next to nothing. Because yeah. <laughs> he's not buying IKEA furniture anymore. Yeah. He's, they've got corporate sponsorship, as he says. We've got corporate sponsorship now. We are literally being paid for by this motor company. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, if he ever did get arrested, that would probably... And they, and they said, well, where do you get the money from for this? And he goes, well, actually, I'm an outside consultant. Here's the story. <laughs> that company's coming down with you. They're responsible for terrorism. They've been funding terrorism, even yeah. indirectly. Doesn't the soap bring in a bit of income as well? The soap does, yes. Then again, he did blackmail him to get that, so he'll be done for blackmail. It's blackmail, uh, isn't it? Not if he leaves that part out. Well, they won't, will they? Well, you should prove it. Well, prove true. I beat myself up. Yeah, that's true, I suppose, yeah. So, yeah, he beat the shit out of me. Mm. Whatever. So, at this point, we get more homework assignments. 
It started with petty acts of vandalism like an excrement catapult and stealing monkeys and shaving them bald, then returning them, at least returning them. Mm-hmm. You're basically growing a terrorist organisation yeah. and a fascist organisation. It's just pranking at this, t- at this point though, isn't it? Yeah, it is pranking, but it's still the precursor for something a lot bigger. More sinister, yeah. I like the human sacrifice bit, which comes next, where he's uh, they go into the quick, the, 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 I call it quickie mart, like a Seven yeah. Eleven, and ties yeah. to get around the back. Raymond, where he gets Raymond, pulls him out. He's got a gun in his hand. Neil makes him kneel down. Gun to the back of the head. What were you doing? I, I was going to college, but you know, I want. Yeah, I live in a shitty basement apartment. This guy's emasculated. Yeah. He's not, you know. Yeah. He's he's lost the the drive to succeed. Yeah. And um, this is he puts a gun to his head and says, "Right, well, you've got six weeks, and I will come back to check, and I will go to your apartment. I know where you live, and if you haven't started back as a veterinary student, which you wanted to do, I'll fucking kill you." Yeah. Which I think seems keeps fair. His license, he, as well? mm. Keeps his license, and then later on you see a whole back of the door is covered up with these yeah. licenses as human sacrifices. So, Seems fair. I think it's motivational. Tyler Durden's providing a service to the men oh, in, the, yeah. in this society. He's trying to up the education rate of society. Yeah. I think he's up the mental health issues. Of <laughs> 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 Traumatic, like, yeah. you know, stress inducer or what? Yeah, but how relieved is that guy? Yeah, he says, like, this guy... What, you're going to be thinking, shit, is it going to come back? You're going to want to move house? You're going to be like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, the mm. first thing I do is move house. Yeah. But as he says, like, you know, tomorrow that breakfast he eats will be better than any meal you or I have ever tasted. The air will taste better. He nearly died. Yeah. Everything's gonna seem fucking amazing tomorrow morning. If he actually ever sleeps that night. Which he yeah. probably won't sleep for a few nights after, I'd imagine. Yeah, he definitely uh you know, he faced death, didn't he? Yeah. And now he you know, he knows it's coming for him. Unless he books his ideas he's accepted up. Accepted his mortality now and he's According to Nietzsche, he's in, enlightened in a way. Yeah, absolutely. This is a bit where Marla kind of nearly gives a game away. That he comes very close to talking about Tyler, which is one of the things that he would said he wouldn't do to Tyler. She's like, "Oh, what the fuck's going on?" And he's like, so "He's he's going to sort of." He says, "Like, oh, why well, was a str- weaker person latches onto a stronger mm. person?" And then he says, oh, "That's not that's not us. That's not our relationship." Mm-hmm. He's like, "What do you mean us? What do you mean?" And she's thinking. What do you mean, us? Is that you and I? He's talking about him and Tyler, that he's mm-hmm. the weaker person in that relationship. Yeah. And that Tyler's a stronger one. He ends up going to the sort of basement step door, and Tyler's down there. And he's like, you know, he tells him what to say, basically, doesn't he? You know, this conversation is over. And he sort of slams the door. She leaves, but she's confused. And she's like, well, hang on, what do you mean? Is, is this an us, us, <laughs> or who the fuck are you, else are you talking about? Yeah. Because he dodges the question about the burn on his hand, the scar on his hand from the chemical burn. He seems to think that there's a, a threesome. Yes. In a way, and she's like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this us? Made you twig on and watch it for the first time, on it? Yeah, the first ever time I watched it. It was first seen after they'd, they'd had sex, mm. really. When she walked out, I was just like, something's amiss. Something's mm. amiss here. You know, women, you can mm. clock it, can't you? <laughs> yeah. You've got that there's sixth sense. There's not so many women in this film at all, if you, if mm. you notice. No, there's literally her. And a f- yeah. I don't think I even clocked any in the bar. Oh, you didn't know? you? It's a titty bar, isn't it? So maybe I didn't see any titty. You didn't see any topless dancers at the bar, did you? Yeah. 
Well, they'd all gone home by then. It's late time. <laughs> They're there till the end. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's aimed at men, isn't it, this yeah, film? Yeah. For definite. Oh, yeah, it's it's very much a... It's talking about specifically men. Yeah. The whole film, so, yeah. There's Goddamn... There's ten women in the whole, you, you know, just... Yeah. Just the people that just walk by and that, oh, you know, I can't clock hardly any. Mm. How do you relate? Because you're going to relate to the film a lot differently to us, then, aren't you? Naturally, you're a woman. I just think you know, you put yourself in in what's name, what's name Marley. Marley, yeah. Yeah, you put yourself in Marley. So you're thinking he's he's crazy as fuck. He is. He's got a few red he's, flags, hasn't he? Yeah, he's in and out. He's you know, hot and cold. He fucks you, he's, he's, he's the best sex you've had, and then the next day he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. That's just a typical man, though. <laughs> no? <laughs> well, it depends, it depends very much on the person you've just spent the night with. <laughs> but no, I, I wouldn't be kicking Mara out of the house. Not a chance. I'd be like, all right, do you want a bacon sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> So he goes down into the basement when she's left in a huff and finds out that Tyler has been building bunk beds down there. Well, he's been building bunk beds. Tyler's been building bunk beds in the basement. What's with the bunk beds? He leads him outside. You've got one of the guys from Fight Club stood out there in a black uniform. And he's like, you're too young. Get the fuck out of here. And he just stays where he is. He says, oh, what's, what's going on? And Larry says, oh, what's going on? He says, oh, they're going to stay there for three days and nights. No food, no water. That's it. You stay there. If they do that, they can come in and start their training. But we're going to verbally abuse them yeah, first. Yeah, we're going to verbally abuse them. We're going to say they're too young, too old, too fat, whatever, too blonde. You're going to hit them with a broom. You're going to say, I'm going to go back and get a shovel. I don't know. I don't think he did go back and get a shovel. I don't think he came at him <laughs> with a shovel after that. But, you know, it's threats, it's abuse, it's breaking them down, isn't it? Yeah, seeing how long they'll stay. <laughs> It's the National, days, it's the national nights, Service it? Army of the 1950s where they just broke you from a civilian to a soldier. Mm. You know, yeah, three days, three nights. No, I presume that means no sleep as well, so you stood there. Poor stare. old Bob just walks up. You're too fat and just walks up. Yeah, and he does go after him. And you're too say, old, you're too fat and your tits are too big. <laughs> <laughs> then he, he just walks up. He's like, he's, Bob's just got nothing, has he? So he's, he's the kind of guy that gets sucked up in this kind of thing. He's got nothing. Yeah, he's got nothing. That's the thing I do start wondering. They're all living in this basement. How, you know, how's, how have they uh, just recruited all this lot? You know, where have they found them? I suppose it's the, the it's through Fight Club, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You've stopped up all these guys, and for them, this has become everything to them, especially Bob, who's like, his wife's divorced him, he's got no money, his kids don't speak to him anymore. Yeah. He's got Fight Club, and, and he's lost his balls, and he's grown tits. <laughs> You know, yeah. Bob's having a shit time of things, in yeah, all fairness. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is it for him. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I really enjoy this fight club. They yeah. say they want these volunteers. Yeah. Fuck it, why not? Well, he's gaining back his masculinity. That's it. He? He's regaining yeah, yeah. his masculinity again. He's like, because he was a bodybuilder before. Yeah. You know, the only reason he's got the tits is because he was so full of testosterone, his body upped the estrogen to counter it. It's a sad story, actually, Bob. Yeah. Robert Paulson. <laughs> You know, the, the applicants who move in, they have their heads shaved, or certainly the blonde guy, Jared Leto, is, I'm sure his name is like Rockstar or something like that. When he does a Rockstar speech, we're all going to be rock stars. He looks at him. And I think that's why he's referred to as the Rockstar. Mm. There's this bright blonde hair. 
He's allowed to keep his hair. Another guy gets a mohawk. Most of them just shave it. So I think it's like what they decide on what they want you to do. Mm. Okay. Or maybe just to tell them apart because they're all in black uniforms and all got shaved heads. Yeah. It'd be very, you'd start getting fucked up with names immediately, wouldn't you? Well, obviously, Bob, Bob, you can't miss him. Yeah. Can you? Yeah. The irony is, though, that they've, they're trying to escape a world where they're, they're nameless and just cogs in a machine, but then they're just becoming... They're going to a fascist cult where they're just cogs in a machine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And make no mistakes, this is a fascist cult. Yeah. We don't ask questions. First rule of Project Mayhem is we don't ask, we don't ask questions. Well, that's dangerous, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's... That's like the SS going, oh, well, we didn't question our orders at the time when we shot all those civilians. Mm. Yeah, well, that's what that leads to. That's what shit leads to war crimes. Not questioning orders leads to war crimes. Leads to innocent people dying. You know, they're maggots. They're not special. They're not pretty little snowflakes. They're the all-singing, all-dancing crap of the earth. Yeah, this is a fascist organisation. Yeah. Right, they're, you know, still trying to break them down, just make them, you know... Make them what they want them to be. Yeah. These perfect little soldiers they basically toughened up these guys using Fight Club there's a little quote he says you know you become what Tyler wanted you yeah everyone becomes what Tyler wants Mm -hmm. him to be he's a fascist leader now isn't he yeah he he gets to dictate everything so like I say it starts off a bit more vandalism but it's escalating now they're blowing up apartments making a smiley face on the building and the, the fires of the eyes you know that was a bit. That was their first one, wasn't it? Yeah. Commissioner Gordon of this this thing, Commissioner Gordon, is like, hey, you know, we think it's linked to these underground boxing clubs somehow. So what do they do? They these old in a press conference. They they're disguised as waiters. They're there out there serving the food. This guy goes to the toilet. Next thing you know, they're in there. They've got his mouth taped. They've got an elastic band around his balls, trying to mm. cut them off. Um, you know, demasculating him straight away. Yeah. You know, it's like we're emasculating ourselves by taking your balls. By making you less than us. Because he thinks he's more than them anyway, doesn't he? Yeah. He thinks well, he's, he's, he's on a moral right, isn't he? Yeah. The moral right. This is, I'm the police. I'm the line between order and chaos. And you guys are literally called Project Mayhem. That's what they want, chaos. That's well, their aim. Yeah. Their aim is the destruction of the last man mentality that has created a civilization of mediocrity and decline. By destroying centralised financial institutions to accelerate the collapse of the current system, then create a decentralised network of spiritual warriors that will form the aristocratic backbone of the new order. There you go, so they're already talking about making them ourselves aristocrats. Yeah, that will rise out of the chaos. So they want yeah, so chaos. yeah, they want chaos so they can take power for themselves. Yeah. That's what fascists do, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Right, so we go back to uh, a fight club in, in the basement in Underloos. The narrator is fighting Jared Leto's character, the blonde guy. And he literally just smashes his fucking face in, even after he quits, doesn't he? He, goes, he tries to, to tap. Yeah. And he can't, and then he just pushes his hand away and starts punching him to the point where he can't speak. To him. He's virtually out, isn't he? His face is pulped. Yeah. The camera shot, everyone's sort of like... Yeah. Well, and leaning in to almost you can feel them wanting to just grab him off him can't you yeah but because of reasons we find out later Mm -hmm. no one dares lay a hand on him unless it's in that ring I guess and he says well what's up with you psycho boy and he's like Tyler says to him and he's like well I wanted to destroy something beautiful Mm -hmm. it's because Tyler had taken like a liking to the the blonde head that's what it was it was from his point it was jealousy he was the favourite wasn't he yeah he was his right aunt, sort of 
right hand man and maybe you know the narrator was he felt threatened by him threatened didn't he? And maybe pushed out a bit because you can't talk about project mayhem but blondie seems to know what's going on That's everybody it. around me seems to go knows what's going on except me so, you know. Yeah, that's true. Why have we got all this fucking these plans up on the wall? Mm. Yeah, what I love about this is they leave the bar after that, and there's a car just pulled up for them. Mm. Oh yeah, don't worry, Mister Durden, we got it from the uh, got it from the airport, long term parking. No one will know it's gone. Mm. It's the fucking guy who works at the airport, long term parking. It's a valet. You're like fuck me. This is the car crash bit where we're coming up, and Tyler and the narrator are literally arguing in the front seat. About, well, this you know, we started Fight Club together. What's all this Project Mayhem business? Why aren't you telling me anything? And they're just arguing. And you later on, you realize that, that that's quite weird for the two guys mm. of Project Mayhem, presumably riding as some kind of bodyguard in the back seat. In the back seats, you're like, well, you should be questioning what's going on at this point. Yeah, they should have said something. They did look a bit puzzled, if you, you know, when the, they camera, did. When the camera pans back at yeah. them. Yeah. See, at that point, I'd be reevaluating my recent life choice. <laughs> they put the belts on, didn't they? Yeah, well, thank God. Because <laughs> they'd not have Madame on at the start, did they, <laughs> in that journey? When he lets go of the wheel, Tyler, let's go on. Yes, this is uh, going to be uh, enlightenment. I'm going to crash the car. You have been in a car crash? No, sir. Right, well, looks like we are now. This is enlightenment. This is a near life experience. You face mm-hmm. death and you've escaped from it. Mm-hmm. It's a good job they weren't in one of the cars that for the company that the narrator works in because they'd all be dead and mm. trapped inside and on fire. I think he means when he says near life, you know, you've never been alive up to this point because... You've never been that scared of death. Yeah. Until you actually come to face it, that's when you actually feel like, like the Raymond character. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Narrator's a bit banged up, isn't he? So it seems he's put into bed and sort of left to sleep it off, really. Mm. You know, Tyler leaves. The house is still full of literally of Project Mayhem members and their numbers have grown. Mm-hmm. There's got to be at least 50 guys now. At least, would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And they're making soap, a.k.a. explosives. They're skimming the top, aren't they? They're skimming the top. Now, the narrator, is like, he's been abandoned by his father again, hasn't he, at this point in his mm-hmm. mind? Like your father figure's just fucked yeah. up. He's left you with all these children. They're almost like a mum and dad in a way, the relationship they have to these Project mm, Mayhem members. Yeah, yeah. And dad's just left, and he's taken on, on the role of his mum, who's drinking heavily, stumbling around being a being a bitch. I guess not the mum, but more like the older sibling. Yeah. So he's the number one son. Mm-hmm. He's guided through and built this thing with him, and then he's fucked off and left him. And because he's the older sibling, he's got a look after this yeah. but he doesn't know what's going no, on he doesn't know what's going on he's like, he's like in the loop now is he yeah so he stumbles out to the front of the yeah. house he's drinking vodka there's literally a guy raking the gravel behind him because they're all working on this house making it like sustainable they're growing food aren't they they're growing their own food they're, yeah. they're practically like a weird mix between preppers and uh, and anarchists and fascists <laughs> <laughs> then again dig for victory hmm. <laughs> It's a Marlowe rise that says, you know, what's going on here? And he's like, ah, don't worry about it. <laughs> Can I come in? He goes, she's like, ah, Tyler's not here. Tyler's gone. He's, he's gone. You know, and she's like, again, like, she's like, what the mm. fuck is this guy on? Just turns and walks, doesn't she, again? Yeah. Like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Then we get later on, we hear shouting. It skips forward, we hear shouting. It's, it's and uh, 
Bob's been shot. Two gunshot wounds coming in. One guy's been shot in the leg. Bob has been shot in the head. He is very dead. His oh, yeah. brain falls out of his his hat. Yeah, it's quite graphic when they pull back the sheet, isn't it? Yeah. And he's, he's like, oh, come on, we've got to bury the body. One of the We've got to bury the body in the garden. It's evidence. Mm-hmm. He's no, he's not evidence. He's a person. The narrator says, his name's Robert Paulson. This is Bob. Robert Paulson. Ah. Project, so, in Project Mayhem, you don't have a name. In Project Mayhem, you don't have a name. You're a maggot. Mm. But in death, you have a name, and his name is Robert Paulson. <laughs> It's getting a bit chanty. Yeah, it's, it's very chanty, doesn't it? Very chanty. His name is Robert Paulson. Just on and on, even though he's telling them to stop. He leaves the room and they still carry on. Yeah. I bet they were there all night doing that. Yeah. A bit culty now. It's gone very culty. <laughs> you know, the narrator's freaking out. He's like, what the fuck is this? Having a more lucid moment, all that sleep he had when he was out from the car crash has obviously snapped him back into some sort of normality. He finds all the ticket stubs, he leaves immediately, he starts flying to these places where he's been, or Tyler has been, and he finds out that Tyler's literally building an army. Mm-hmm. He's, get, he's going to these cities in order, he's finding out that he, he doesn't seem to have to go far. He seems like he's been there before, he hasn't got to go far to find a fight club. These things are being set up all over the country, these little franchises. Mm, that's an important word, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This is the bit where, you know, got all these stubs and he's getting on planes and he's going, but he doesn't, you know, we're just getting to the bit where he's about to realise, but he's got like a passport, surely. If he opens his passport, he can see his name. Oh, yeah. Or maybe he's got two passports. Maybe he's cloned it. One for Tyler Dirt and one for the narrator. It just says the narrator on it, does it? No, it's got the same name, but I mean, oh yeah, good point. I don't know. No, he yeah, suddenly would look at his own passport and say, "Well, no, my name's Tyler Durden as well." He, no, because he's a he's a projection of himself, isn't he? He's a projection. Tyler's a projection. Sometimes, ah, you know, what's his we'll, name on his passport? Maybe well, it'll just be his not, name. What's his name? Tyler well, we, don't, we don't know his name. But it'd just be his name, Mister X's name, and he be he would. Remember, he's got no knowledge of this. He's got no knowledge. He feel he's having deja vu, but he's got no knowledge of him being here before. And it's not until he gets to the one bar and there's a guy with a fucking head brace on because he's had his fucking face hit so hard he's gonna have his neck maintained upright. Still at work though, God bless him. <laughs> no sick pay in that bar. Presumably he's the owner. Maybe, but they're all in Fight Club. And he's like, you know, he visits these other places, and they're like, "Oh, do you remember Mister? Do you remember Durden? Oh, is he building an army? You know, all these guys are talking about him like he's some kind of fucking leader, this mm-hmm. revolutionary leader, a cult leader. The guy with the neck braids is like, is this a test, sir? And he's like, no, tell me about Tyler Durden. He goes, well, he was stood right there where you are, and you know, everything. Do you need to worry? He asked about security. He says you don't need to worry with Tyler's a drum, and he's like. Did he say that he was your, he's the one that gave me... Are you sure you know who Tyler Durden is? I can't remember now. And he's like, yeah, he's the guy that gave me this. And he shows him the chemical burn on mm. the back of his hand. So that yeah, yeah. seems to be reserved for his, like, initiates into his own philosophy who accept that. The elites, his top lieutenants, get the scar to show they've passed from... Maybe it's a thing to show that you've passed from one level to another. No, it's going from... A badge breaking, of honour. It's breaking down yourself with pain and suffering. Yeah, you got to go through the pain and suffering to break yourself down. That's why he's at work in the neck brace. The mm, pain and suffering yeah. doesn't bother him. Yeah, he's faced death and 
Andy's a bar owner, so maybe he's got a basement. He's got a place. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. this, you know, so maybe the bar owners uh, become the sort of lieutenants, as you put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe. Now he does. So he doesn't tell him that he's Tyler Durden, does he? No. The next scene's the hotel room. Isn't That's it? right. He's in the. He goes back to the hotel room. All right. So the narrator returns to the his hotel room. And he realises, as Tyler appears in the corner, with a new look, a shaved head and a pimp coat, mm-hmm. he realises that he is Tyler, after all. The narrator is Tyler, Tyler is a narrator, he looks how he longs to look, he fucks how he wants to fuck, he is smart and capable, and he says, you wanted to change your life, didn't you? That's why you blew up your apartment. Mm. That's why I blew up your apartment, mm. he says. You, I. Mm. Now, obviously, that throws us into a bit of a quandary at some points in the movie. Because if they're both, these are sometimes you imagine yourself watching me, sometimes you're just me. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Now, the car crash scene, then, you're like, well, so th- he was just having an argument with himself. Hmm. A, a raging argument with himself, and those two guys are sat in the back. I'd be questioning my life choices. I'd be grabbing him out. If I was one of the guys in the back, I'd be grabbing him out. The, like, you know. Yeah, too. Right. I'd be like, get that fuck out of the way, you crazy bastard. I don't want to die in a car. Exactly. I mean, all right, I have been brainwashed, but not yeah. that extensively at this point. They haven't been there that long. No. Who knows? A few other instances in the movie, isn't there? Where you're like, well, hang on, how does that work? Well, going back to that car one, they could have thought it was a test. That's it. I mean, he, does, he is always asked if this is a test, isn't he? Yeah. So... After, you know, little by little, the narrator is becoming Tyler Durden. There's less and less instances where he's his old self and more and more where he's Tyler, as opposed to the fact that he thinks he flaked out for X amount of days after the car crash. No, in reality, he was flying around the country, setting up fight clubs and organising his fucking Project Mayhem team yeah. to presumably rise up and fucking terrorise the nation. Yeah, because Tyler reminds him that he's... You know, he's the one that's got the jobs of the evening because he, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't sleep. He's still got huge bags under his eyes at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And he calls Marla. He does, and he's like, "Well, you know, were we having?" What's my name? What's my name? And she, you know, she's like, well, "Say my name," and he's like, "Tyler Durden," and he's like, "Oh fuck, mm-hmm. oh fuck." So he has to walk back on a plane as fast as he can. Gets back to the house on Paper Street. And it is empty. It has been cleaned out. Apart from a few things that are left, these addresses, address uh, inbox things now to the wall mm-hmm. where there's uh, addresses on them, which he calls. He gets through to the maintenance department. Turns out this is all part of some plan that he, as himself, as the narrator, is not aware of when the, the maintenance engineer says, Don't worry, sir, we're all good to go. Yeah. Oh, fuck. He calls Marla. You know, so he meets Mar on the street because he starts going to this Franklin Street building. Mm-hmm. He meets Marla. He says, look, you know, catering to a restaurant, a cafe, cafe slash restaurant. He's like, what do you want? She orders a shit ton of food because the guy says, oh, everything you have, sir, is free. And everyone just sort of nods at him from behind the counter. Yeah. She goes, what do you mean if it's free? Yeah, so she orders like a shit ton of He's like, we want clean food. And he's like, well, I would suggest the lady doesn't have the clam chair. Yeah. Like, They've all been pissing in the food. <laughs> Oh, it's like it's even that little thing has spread. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. Just makes makes me want to never eat out again. Best way. 
Or have a takeaway again. What are they doing to it? Never piss off a waiter. No. Not worth the risk. Never is. Moore's very polite to the serving staff. Yeah. Tip well. My advice. Absolutely. Always tip well, unless you don't have to, because we live in the UK. So what tip? <laughs> you haven't got to. You're meant to tip 10%. Oh, yeah. Not in this country. Yeah, I never tip in the UK. He's trying to explain that something weird's going on and he can't quite... Uh, he doesn't know what's going on, but she might be in danger because of him. He steps in front of a bus, which just about stops. He gives her a load of money and says, just take that, leave the city for a few days, get out of here. I'm not going to know where you're going. But as the bus drives off, you see a couple of guys step up, step across, I don't you know, he's like grab her in a way. Yeah. So he's, they're everywhere. They are literally, Project Mayhem members are everywhere. Yeah. Right, so he goes to the police then. He's confessing. He's like, right, this is what's going to happen. These attacks were a result of Project Mayhem. It's linked to the underground boxing clubs. If you go to the house, there's a body buried in the garden. It's Robert Paulson. Blah, blah, blah. The detective leaves the room. And, oh, and we're going to blow up the credit card companies to wipe everyone's mm. debt, by the way. That's the big plan. It's going to happen, like, today. <laughs> the detective in charge goes, all right, I'm going to go and check this out. You two keep an eye on him. These guys are part of Project Mayhem. Start so stripping him off, don't they? Yeah, they and they're like, like, you said you'd do. Can't you said, put his balls off. Oh, you said you said if anyone, if you <laughs> came here and tried to do this, then we're we're gonna take your balls. And he's like, you know, he goes, I'm not Tyler Durden. You said you'd say that. <laughs> okay, I am Tyler Durden. I ordered you to stop. You definitely said you'd say that. <laughs> you know, it was just like he gone there. Pre, he told them exactly what he was gonna do. So yeah. Tyler knows the guy better than the guy knows himself. Because he is him. Yeah. Because he is him, and that's the he's mental using thing. It to his advantage, where Tyler hasn't, well, mm. narrator can't do that yet because no. he's, you know he hasn't fully accepted it to a point, has yeah, he? Yeah. Yet he, he kind of has. He think he knows that's what's been happening, but he still can't quite believe it. Would you be, in, you know, if you're not if you're sleep deprived? You well, that's it. It, it. It's that fine line between reality, isn't mm. it? That's it, he says, you know, I'm never really awake, I'm never really asleep. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't know what's going on. Presumably when he has just dozed off through sheer exhaustion and then woke up, he's himself for a few hours, maybe a few days, but as soon as that tiredness starts to kick in, the Tyler Durden side comes out more. Others saying that could be dependent on situation. Yeah. If he's got multiple personality disorder, mm-hmm. then he won't know what he's done as that other... No, not necessarily. Yeah. It can be compartmentalized in the brain, can it? Away, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I believe so. So you know more about mental health than us, Claire. Yeah, that, that, that's but, what I believe you can compartmentalise yeah, it. So. Some multiple people... I know that some people with MPD, multiple personality disorder, aren't aware of their other personalities. Some are very much aware of their other personalities. Mm-hmm. Can that extend to hallucinating like this, or is this something completely different, do you think? I don't know. I don't know, it could, could be schizophrenia as well. Could be some... Seeing Tyler, because mm. he's seeing him, he's beating himself up, for Christ's sake, you know. Mm. Yeah. Could be a mixture of all sorts, but I think, it, you know, the, the, the sleep deprivation of fuck you. Yeah. Right that will definitely make it. you hallucinate. That, that makes you hallucinate, doesn't it? The sleep deprivation. Yeah. So that's presumably why Tyler isn't there when he when he flakes out after the car crash, for might be a few days. You know, that might be when he actually comes to and he's like, oh shit, what's been going on? What's been going on here, yeah. What I love about this scene is the policeman try and take his balls. That's the thing. So if you do, they're fumbling about, aren't they? I'm going to go for the record. Where's the elastic band? Oh. Yeah. The narrator manages to grab the gun. 
to grab a gun off the policeman. He's like, gets off the table really awkwardly. Yeah, well, I guess so. He's just then again, I've got to talk about Tyler and him at some point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he's like, uh, anyone comes after me, they'll get a lead salad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, lead salad, fantastic. So he starts running to Franklin Street in his boxes and T-shirt and his shoes. They got rid of his trousers. He, he finds the wall, doesn't he? He does. I, I was really impressed with that. Tyler appears. He tries to, you know, next. He's trying to get into this building. He tries to ramp with the bench. Ends up hurting himself because presumably it's designed to stop that kind of thing. The glass mm-hmm. ends up shooting it out, but Tyler's inside there. He's like mocking him at this point. He finds the van full of explosives next to the support column, ironically, in a mirror of the first attack on the World Trade Centre mm. back in 97, I believe it was, when they parked up a bomb full of explosives next to a support column, hoping to tip one onto the other. Cool. Bit of a mirror attack. I'm not sure about the Oklahoma bombing as well. There might be a parallel with that. Yeah. yeah. It just shows the narrator pointing a gun at the van as he's talking to Tyler. But the CCTV shows that there's no Tyler. It's just this guy pointing a van, a gun at a van full of explosives, <laughs> which Tyler alludes to when he shoots it. He's like, is he shooting your imaginary friend who stood in front of a van full of explosives, <laughs> you dickhead? He does manage to defuse a bomb. He's like, because he knows, he realises he knows. If Tyler knows, he knows. Yeah. And he kind of channels that. He's, he's learning. He's becoming a master of his schizophrenia. Yes. <laughs> of a sort. Uh, and then he has a fight with himself again. Like Tyler beats him up, but he's literally just... Th- the dragging scene was great. I mean, I know they... Because there'd be no physical way you could actually do that. No. You couldn't not. drag yourself by the scruff of your coat, kicking your legs and keeping <laughs> your, co- your torso upright. You couldn't do it. No. But... That's a blue screen, that. Yeah. yeah. That's why they did it through the CCTV, didn't they? Yeah. Yes. That was great. I enjoyed that mm. bit. He's like, ah, oh, kicking himself along. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my legs are... I guess have a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Drags him up to the top, uh, throws him down the stairs, which is the, uh, the rock bottom thing, as we alluded to earlier in Nietzsche. Only once you hit rock bottom can you start to pick yourself up again. Become Ubermensch. Become an Ubermensch. Challenge slave morality. An Ubermensch, presumably a fascist. <laughs> and then we end up back at the start of the movie. Sat on the top floors. He's got a gun in his mouth. Tyler's holding it. Uh, he sees the Project Mayhem members getting Marla off the bus again. She's presumably brought her back because it's still the same day, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So they brought her back or thrown on a, took her on another bus to bring her back. Reason um, she ordered them. Look, I wanted to come and watch this with me. Yeah. Ordered it earlier than him giving her the money. That's it, yeah. Him. Make sure she's there for that time. You know where she is. You know, you're all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'd presume he's always got people shadowing him. There's some kind of security, maybe, because he's probably becoming a little bit par- more paranoid than usual. Mm. They are entirely devoted to him. This is very much like the SS and Hitler, and the fact they're all in black mm-hmm. as well is a direct parallel, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's like we're always watching this guy because he's our guy. We are devoted to him, and they are devoted to him. Mm. They literally do anything he says. There are no questions that's in Project what, Mayhem. That's what you do in a fascist. Society, isn't it? Of course. No one questioned Hitler. No. No? And if you did, unpleasant things happened. Yeah. So they bring it to the building. Tyler just take some responsibility for this. You've been... This is you. I'm just... I just enacted it because I'm you. You know, this is the person you want to be. But the narrator does take the power back. He realises that the gun's not in Tyler's hand. It's in his Mm -hmm. hand. And he puts it in his mouth again. 
presumably he's holding it in there the first place, in the first place, and shoots himself through the face or shoots himself through the cheek, doesn't he? Yeah. But he visual. I guess he, he, my own head canon is that he visualizes he's blown his head out, therefore mm. blowing Tyler's head out, the back of Tyler's head out. Yeah, not sure on that one. I'm I can not have... sure. I don't know if it's because he, he moves his head slightly to one side, doesn't he? So he, it goes yeah. like the cheek, you know, and maybe because, I don't know, in his own mind he thinks, I'm, I, I'm flinching a touch, so it's going to go straight through yeah. his head. I, I, you don't know what's happening no. in the mind of a crazy man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> My own head canon is that he visualises blowing the back of his brains out even though he only shoots himself in the cheek because he realises that he has the power. Right. So if he visualises shooting himself enough, he'll, then Tyler will be shot through the back of the head. Well, That's he my own head cannon. So why didn't he just shoot it at Tyler and go, look, you know, if, if, he, if he'd had the power, he could have made that bullet hit him yeah. in his own imagination. Then again, he said, like you said, Claire, it's the mind of a crazy man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he still knows he has to do something like that to, because when Maybe the Project the pain, Mayhem guys the get there... You've got to feel the pain to... Maybe. Yeah, the suffering, your, your existence is defined by your own suffering. So yeah. through his own suffering, he realises his own existence. Or the pain to be reborn. As yeah. Just, as yeah. You know, Nietzsche would say, yeah, he was shooting himself symbolises his transformation from a disillusioned, nameless consumer to become Ubermensch. He accepts death and suffering as part of the human existence without fear, in a clear state of mind. He says, doesn't he? I'm more philosophical than I know. Yeah. <laughs> he regains his masculinity by taking action and sacrificing himself for a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. So he could have killed himself. Yeah. And you just let them guys take the rap. He gives up illusions of control and hope because they've been pacifying him his entire life. He regains a freedom to give his life meaning because all distractions evaporate the second he faces this mortality head-on, and by killing his imaginary father figure becomes independent and free to make own decisions and overcome emasculation and go into a romantic relationship with Marla. Mm. Boom. She has a right go at him when she gets there, go, and she's like, oh my God, she's shot in the face. And he's like, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm Project Mayhem, dude. Yeah, they're like, oh man, he shot himself in the face. And he's like, right, the one, like find some gauze. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're like, oh my god, what a good Why did you do that? I'll set an example, I guess. You know, when he like, sends the, the, the Project Mayhem guys away, I've always thought, ah, oh, you know, fuck, who wanted to watch it from here? Best view. Yeah, you, you promised us the view. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd have been, like, been in that elevator, gone down one floor, I'm telling you, and then gone, Just watch this before we get the doors yeah. here. If I'd set that up, I'd want to see it, you know? Exactly. Should be worth pointing out that the buildings have allegedly been cleared, that all the maintenance staff and janitor first janitorial staff are their own guys. I don't know, man. I still reckon there could be people working late. Or somebody going to Mama's Pizza on the way. Home. That's it. You're walking through that walking district. By. You know, next thing you know, the buildings. Could, not, there's no way on earth they're not killing people by doing this, regardless of how much they've tried. Yeah. No. Six the, the, buildings the, the, go you know, drone strike. Ten, they said, isn't it? Something like that. Oh, and he dis he disarmed. The twelve one, so. is it twelve and they disarm the one or ten and disarm ten the and one? He disarmed yeah. Because there's a oh or maybe eleven. There's there's ten more bombs in the. Yeah, mm. that's right. So this is the eleventh he was doing. So yeah, although all those people are just like, oh man, what if you live near it? Your house is destroyed. Your windows are gone. Yeah. Yeah. You might die. And would it really, you know, zero everything off? I don't think so. 
I think so, Oliver, you know. You... Credit <laughs> companies are always sharing your information, aren't they? That one city wouldn't hold all nah. that information. That would be, you know... They'd have regional offices that'd have the rec- copies of the records, wouldn't they? Yeah, that'd be suicide, wouldn't it? Sort of financial suicide if you... Oh, we'll keep it all in, da-da-da-da, and, you know... Keep it all in the one building. Yeah. Nothing's ever gone yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. Any of the Pixies play and Marla and the narrator hold hands and, and fade, fade to black. Fade to black. End of the movie. And it's a great movie. I think it deserves yeah. its 8.8. 8. Yeah, it's one of my favourite movies. It's certainly in the top 10. Yeah. For me. I don't, I'd, I'd agree with that. It just blew my mind at the time. 17, 18, watching it. I want to think about consumerism. I'd never thought of it that way. And it just totally opened my eyes up. To how reality was, I suppose, at the time. So and think... probably put me on the course to being the, the super liberal progressive I am today. Uh... So do you think Project Mayhem would have carried on after? So like, that's it. So all, all the buildings are on the floor and she's like, what the fuck, let's get you treated or something. And, you know, she might have another go at him. Like, you've got your henchmen like, dragging me up here. Do you think Project, Project Mayhem would carry on after? Or because he's like, you know... Is he going to disband it? Because he's just killed off Tyler, you know. Yeah, is he going to keep on running Project Mayhem? Because he's killed Tyler, so he's just back to his normal... Well, is there no more project? Because, you know... Well, yeah. he didn't want it, did he? In the end, he he rebelled against what he was doing. He tried to stop it, in a way, didn't he? He attempted to. Oh, I think there'd be an uprising of the blonde one. Mm. The one oh, he, he might take control. Yeah. Or the guy that got shot in the thigh that started the Robert Paulson chant... He seemed pretty high up the list too. Yeah, did he have the burn? Yeah, no, he didn't. But then again, all them. There's thing is, I mean, he says that these are cells that are capable of operating without yeah. central control. So, whether or not that particular cell has has kind of been disbanded or they've done it or whatever, and they all go, there's, oh, there's a bit of a coup, and they get caught to their own incompetence. There's still all these other cells all across the country. I mean, he's 48 flight tickets he gets yeah. a year. It's, he's been to 48 cities. Mm-hmm. That could be one per state, near yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah. There's 51 states in 50. America. 50. Oh, you'll be in the cold, cold ground for you recognise Hawaii. <laughs> 49. <laughs> and, you know, I see nihilism is some of it I get, right? And some of the speeches that uh, Tyler makes a nihilist that the, the, we have no generational purpose I kind of agree with yeah you know he says all of that you are just clones and your copies of copies but then he makes some copies of copies yeah, anyway yeah, yeah. he breaks them free gives them this uh, manliness from fighting and they regain that testosterone fueled rage that they, they've had in them all the time but never really ever realise makes them feel more like men yeah and then he breaks them down and turns them into little pussy-whipped tough nuts, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they go from being cogs in a machine to cogs in a machine. That's it. But Nietzsche did say that fascism and consumerism in our society is two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. But you would also argue that consumerism is the destruction of masculinity. I don't know if I agree with... I agree with that in the hunter-gatherer sense of the term. But I don't think it can. There's always going to be people who are more masculine. It's, it's choice. Yeah. Everything in life is a choice, and whatever the system throws at you. There's, there's there's ways to, if you want to be a masculine man, manly man. There's ways of doing it. 
Yeah, you, can, but, you can join the army. But Nietzsche's, you can join a boxer. But Nietzsche's going, oh, well, you know, every man's emasculated. Emascul- yeah. um, you know, what is it, emasculated? I, yeah. I think it's just changed. You know, people are still going out to work to, to buy those things. So it's not a hunter-gatherer, so to speak. Yeah, but they're saying the job's pumping gas and waiting tables. Mm-hmm. is not what a man should be doing, that's what he's saying. Yeah, yeah, we're not meant to serve, is what he's saying. Is that what? Is that it? But we can't all work for farms. We can't all be in the army. Yeah. Because, because Some people don't want to. Yeah, and because of this progression, you know... We're, we're in a tribe, you had the hunters, didn't mm-hmm. you? I'm, I'm, I don't know, I guess all men weren't the hunters. Some were, the majority of men would have been hunter-gatherers. Yeah. You had to feed Some would have gone down you? the shaman route. Oh, yeah, yeah, shaman. the odd, odd bods would have gone down... The, maybe the weaker ones would have gone down the shaman route... Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, the majority of men. If you did, well, look at it. If you didn't kill something to eat, you'd starve. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. That's what it boiled down to. And then we discovered that if you herd a load of animals up and stick them in a fence, it's even better. Because we haven't got to go and hunt. We can just keep the animals here till we want them. Breed them. Yeah. yeah breed them. Look after them. Yeah. Then, then Nietzsche's saying that's not in our DNA. But that's progress. Yeah, exactly. It has brought us enlightenment. It has brought us science and less animals. Well, sort of less animals are dying because in in the wild, uh, uh, you know, horse, pig might have X amount, but lose so many to you know natural causes. Where we're, if we're looking after them, all eight piglets might survive. Yes, we're we're killing them off, but we're also replenishing the stock, and it's sort yeah. Of, oh yeah, there's more. That's, what, that's the profession. Isn't more it? farm animals than than wild animals on. Earth, no. That's why it's important we all don't go vegan. Because if they wanted to, the cows, the pigs, the chickens, the sheep, they could take over, man. They'll form a farmyard alliance, be like Animal Farm. You know, a cow could just barge their way in here and they might take a shot on the floor and attack Claire. <laughs> you know, we won't be able to stop it. It's a cow. Think about it. That's why you can't go vegan, gotta keep their numbers down. Then he he just goes on an impotence too much. He's like, mate, we get it. You can't get it up. Stop projecting that onto everyone else. It's like Freud wanted to fuck his mom. Stop projecting it onto everyone else. Also, Nietzsche doesn't make it onto the top of the top 25 list of philosophers. Does he not? He does not, I'm afraid. All the Greeks are up there at the top. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I think that Nietzsche's thing is like, I think it's all the audacity of blaming the world for your life. But the, yeah, but the world you're born into dictates your life. No, because you can be what you want. Fuck off, can you? Of course you... Well, if you're a poor Indian... Yeah, all right. But you, there's no reason you can't be a fucking man. He's saying that, oh, we're all basically impotent and we're consumed. Yeah, well, I say I can be a consumer and I can still fucking do it. I can still be a masculine man. Why not? It's, 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 it's arrogance, I feel. It's an mm. arrogance on his part. It's, I think just because he couldn't get it up, he projected that onto the rest of us. And as soon as you put that out there, people start doubting themselves. If you've got a masculine society, it's going to be a violent society. It's going to be a fascist society like they want. There's a middle ground in that. There is. There always has been. We haven't always. Society's been manly in the past. It didn't go down the fascist route. Well, it did have warlords, like Genghis Khan. Oh, yeah, we're going back to the fucking... We're not going back to, like, them days, but over the... T- you know, 1700s, 1800s, you weren't all... There were still manly men tilling the fields, working hard, being men, being soldiers, being whatever. You know, we weren't... They were still consuming. They were still buying things. Yeah, but it's got to a point now where the consumption's been forced upon us. We've been manipulated by adverts and by society to want more and more shit 
we can't afford and we don't need. Then don't listen. I know what people do. Well, They're the, brainwashed, aren't well, they? That's it. You got to break free of that. You got to be who you want to be. Done, and I, isn't it? And I think yeah. it's arrogance to blame everything else for your problems. You are what you make yourself. But the society keeps no, the no, people. No, no, down. no, 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 no. There's, there's choice. There's choice. Can't you have a choice. No, society, yeah, makes you dumb and doesn't give you the education. Then educate you need. yourself. Read. Do anything you can. Do you think Lincoln, who grew up in a log cabin, taught himself to read, became a lawyer, and Some then president of the can. United States? He did that. It's about the majority, isn't it? Well, it's no. It's about the you individual. Did you when you had that big head bag when you went to school because it was popular? I bought it because yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, you're right. yeah, you're right. I did, but I also <laughs> bought it because I could cut the end off for a Friday when I didn't have PE and just take my books. <laughs> but still, you had one. It was practical. It wasn't just practical. It was because they were in fashion, you know. It yeah, was, but it was, it was also a hold all, which is always practical. Oh my God, I, I, you know, everyone, I everyone, everyone has got a hold on. It's uh, difficult to go against the flow, isn't it? It's yeah. easier to go with the flow and go with what society wants you to do. The path is laid out for you. Get a job, consume, die, whatever. It is, but I think that Nietzsche's anger is arrogance and impotence. That's your opinion. It is my opinion, and uh, I think there's always a choice. That's, that's my thing. You can be what you want to be. There's always a choice. I'm not sure about you can be what you want to be. I you mean, can go. You can if you if you're. You said you believe in that, but you said we can't all be rock stars. We can't all be. Uh, yeah, no, we can't. We icons. can't all be rock stars and film stars and etc. But you can still try and be the best person you can be. You can educate yourself. You can learn a skill. You can tr- learn a trade. You can you can be a. A boss of the consumer world, if that's not if you've been drinking water with lead in it. Yeah, all right, <laughs> but that was unforeseen in Fight Club and by Nisha. In all fairness, right? You can't, we can't put that. Yeah, but not everyone. But then, presumably, if you're still drinking the water with the lead, then you need to stop. That's a choice right there. <laughs> you know, get the fuck out of that area, mind you. We're probably all drinking it. Yeah. Maybe some people it doesn't affect. Some people it does. I don't know. I mean, you and we all grew up breathing in four-star leaded petrol fumes. I used to love the smell of four-star at the petrol station. Yeah. It's full of lead. There was lead paint in homes mm. up to the 70s. There was asbestos in the roof and lead a paint in the homes. Yeah, a recycling centre fire that's literally just been spewing burning plastic into the air for the last month. <laughs> We're probably all fucked. Chernobyl, the western spread. It's, we can't account for that. But you can be the best person, best version of yourself you can be. You can be the person you want to be if you try hard enough. Yeah, but it's hard when you're being manipulated. If you're... By advertising, by marketing, by your peers. It's always a choice. It's always a choice. And to think that is... The... Well, I couldn't choose tomorrow to go and live off-grid unless I had X amount of money to buy a strip yeah. of land and then if I brought a strip of land it might not have planning permission it might be just woodland mm-hmm. then you'd have to live in like a wood hut yeah <clears throat> but know. if you studied for the next few years it's driven in a higher level yeah. and got a better paid job in a, in some in a few years time you'll be able to afford that strip of land so I've got to get I've got to get on the rat race anyway you have to get to get that but that's sadly the way it is but you can be the best version of yourself you, you can say, that's the way it is <laughs> <laughs> some things will never change you sang that so you do actually believe in Nietzsche a bit then the Ubermensch there's some parts yeah but why can't we all be Ubermensch oh well, that's what that's that's <laughs> why I have criticism with him because he just believes there should be like an elite group that you know a backbone of the aristocracy. Arist- oh so yeah so he's just basically he wants feudalism back 
was the aristoc this this mm. aristocracy of Ubermensch running things. Sounds all a bit Nazi to me. What was Venetia about? Like nineteenth century. Nineteenth century. So towards the end of the nineteenth century, sure. I'm guessing. So yeah, when all the um, all the Nazi society stuff has been drawn up in the occult societies and things like that. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah, at the right time in Germany, Austria. Yeah. 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 He was an impotent untermensch. He was pissed off with his lot in life. Decided to make everyone else feel bad about it. Hence the rise of Nazism. To emasculate us all. Give us all sweet uniforms and having go- have us goose-stepping. <laughs> Nietzsche was basically a foreigner of the National Socialist Party. By that logic. Well, they say... What's that saying when you... Ben's never wrong. No. <laughs> When you label someone a, when you label cool. someone a Nazi, you've lost the argument, haven't you? Oh, yeah, but it's the, uh, it's the Lord Godwin's law, mate. Yeah, <laughs> the law true. of the internet. Yeah, but in all fairness, Mike, the timeline kind of fits with him, and he uses the word unto, oh, Ubermensch a lot. <laughs> so that is a bit Nazi. I must admit. <laughs> if it walks yeah. like a Nazi and it talks like a Nazi, then chances are it's a Nazi. <laughs> and on that note, I think it's probably a good end to and punch a Nazi if you see one. <laughs> now. I think that's a, is that a what good place to about, well, What do you think about his, his thing about God and that, and that God is dead and therefore... We never needed him, it was just another form of control. Yeah, I kind of agree with that a bit, yeah. Work hard, yeah. you get to heaven. God's dead now, oh shit. We don't need him, we never did. We needed him to answer questions until we got clever enough to realise what the nature around us was and how it worked. And eventually how the galaxy works, the universe works. Until then, God's just a convenient excuse, isn't it? Yeah, I must admit, I think it's the Enlightenment and the scientific method is a great thing that we discovered. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. absolutely. And he does actually blame the church for passing their own dogma as truth, but then he criticises where we are, where we come from, like from that, so I don't know. Some bits of him I agree with, some of it I don't. I think is where I am. I think I agree more with Tyler Durden's view of it. Than the, I think uh, I enjoy his revision more than the original text. Well, yeah, it's more dated, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but the movie's great. Yeah, it's a fucking great film. I never read the book, but... It's on the list. I don't think I've read yeah. to buy in it. I really should. I should, yeah. I should stop reading Warhammer 40k books. Mm. But there you go, that's another thing you see, consumerism. I really enjoy having a book. But that makes me a consumer. Yeah, well, that's different. That's a consumer of knowledge, and no, no, it's more than a forty k. Buy it as well. It's escapism, then. Yeah, escapism, I guess. Yeah, but then again, there's nothing wrong with a bit of that. Yeah, well, yeah. Just that's don't got, take, just don't take it too far. Have an imaginary friend yeah. and form a fight club, then yeah. terrorist organization. But surely that's a reflect poor reflection of society, though, isn't it? If you need to escape from society. Why do you think drug use is so high and, you know? It's got to be a poor reflection of society, hasn't it? A good, Ah. healthy society you wouldn't want to escape from. No, no, you wouldn't. And, you know, maybe that's a reflection of of the times they are a-changing, isn't it? I mean, back in the 40s and 50s, you'd have street parties. Nowadays, no one talks to their neighbours. No one says anything. I find it fucking miserable. Nobody says hello anymore. I do. I try to. I do if I'm with a dog and they move to the side to let me pass. Not you're right. Sometimes I just wait to see if they say it. No one ever does. No, it's 
sad, isn't it? Yeah, it is sad. Yeah. It wasn't like that when I was growing up. Yeah, when we were growing up, it was threepence for a yeah, bag of chips. <laughs> you walk past someone. Why are you making a sign being If you walk past someone and didn't say anything, it's considered rude, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's what it was back then. But then I suppose less people. You weren't walking past 20, 30 people a day. No. Just yeah, two or three, right. maybe. I don't know. I bet you were enjoying up the town centre on a Saturday afternoon when it's rammed. You're I right, Gavin. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Tip, right. My, tip my hat to the ladies. <laughs> Did you wear it at a jaunty angle? Uh, I don't know, but the next day I got a neck brace. <laughs> Were you wearing that massive hat the Simpsons with the camera in it? Yeah. <laughs> Did you suffer neck problems as a result? <laughs> Told you to wear for more than 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, should we call that one then? Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud. Listen to us uh, anywhere you find a podcast. Thank you very much. I've been Ben. Don't drink the flavour aid. Don't join a cult, especially a fascist one that makes you blow up buildings. Mm. I've been Mike. That's most of them, isn't it? I've been Mike. Thanks for listening. Peace out. May the force be with you. And I've been Claire. Keep going for Mike, but not so easily. Don't make it, guys.